like that. You Hello, everybody, and welcome that. to this Wednesday like edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Oh, my goodness, it's an exciting day. It is an exciting day. We had a great, 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 great Monday night of football. We will get to that in a little bit, but before we get into the fun stuff today... Oh, man. Just make sure you're following Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, and most importantly, the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts, which is the only way you're listening to me talk about this right now. So if you're not already, make sure you're subscribed or following on both. Leave a rating on a five stars as well. And a description down below why you feel the way you do. Different social media accounts are at Logan underscore Blackman for Twitter. Instagram is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account being the Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. It should pop up. Subscribe, like both. Watch a few videos, click on a few blog posts, you can check out our latest blog post today. We got it on all different forms of social media, so make sure you go there or go to the LoganBlackmanShow.com, go to the blog section and check out our week eight quarterback prospect rankings. We'll talk about those towards the end of the show. And of course, once again, I'm going to reiterate this because it's the most important thing. Make sure you're following the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on both. It could be a one-star. It could be a five-star. Don't care. And leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. It could be a what? One podcast episode. It could be about two, three. Hell, it could be about the entire thing. It could be about me tagging the show name. Whatever. Whatever you want to talk about, just leave it down in the description. But man, oh man. When I, w- when I saw the preview or the commercial on Thursday Night Football, and I was watching the Saints-Cardinals game. That game on Thursday. When I saw the graphic flash across my television screen and say Monday Night Football, we were going to be witnessing the New England Patriots and the Chicago Bears. Now, I can think of multiple years that the Patriots would have been worthy of a Monday Night Football game. I cannot think of many where the Chicago Bears were worthy of a Monday Night Football game. I can think of three years where they were actually good, like deserving of primetime games like this. Now, I am aware every team deserves or gets a primetime game a year. I understand that. But the Bears just had one, like, Thursday. They played the Commanders. Whatever the hell that game was. 12-7 was the final in that one? Or 15-7? Regardless, wasn't great. Wasn't great. And, <laughs> like, the Bears, they had that. The Super Bowl year with Rex Grossman, Sexy Rexy at quarterback. Lost to Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl. He'll return the opening kickoff, all that stuff. And then they had the year where they went to the NFC Championship game when Jay Cutler sat out. They lost Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Packers went on to win the Super Bowl against the Steelers. 2010. And then... Most recently, you had the double doink year. Trubisky led a 11 and 5. I say Trubisky. The Bears defense led an 11 and 5 Bears team in the playoffs. And then Cody Parkey infamously hit the double doink. And that was the end of Matt Nagy's career right at that spot because he became overly obsessive with a double doink, requiring kickers to kick from that exact spot at warm up or from practice to figure out who the new kicker is. That is beyond insane. If you remember when, a few years ago when COVID first kicked off and we did the top five dumbest. Remember that series? If you remember that back that far back? The Bears, we talked about top five dumbest. On that list was Cody Parkey. And not Cody Parkey as in the person and Cody Parkey the situation. Like when you think of Cody Parkey, you don't think of the player. When you think of Cody Parkey, the first thing you think of is the double doink. Like in you you know the name of the player, but the first thing that pops to your mind is like, oh, that's the guy that hit the double doink. You don't go, oh, that's Cody Parkey, the NFL kicker. That's Cody Parker, the guy of the, the double doink. And then going into the offseason, you make kickers practice on that exact same spot to figure out who your best kicker is. I think Eddie Panero was the kicker that ended up being the, the guy for a little bit. And now Cairo Santos. Cairo Santos looked pretty good. Cairo Santos looked good last year. Cairo Santos looking good this year. And, man, Cairo, the, the Bears last night. Good Lord. That was beautiful. And I'm, it, was, it was not just beautiful 
because of the fact the New England Patriots embarrassed themselves on national television. Not because of that, not because of that. But because of the fact that I was all ready for, I was all ready for this. And if you're listening and you've heard me talk about this before, I was all ready for the next Tom Brady line. The next Tom Brady. Bailey Zappi, the next Tom Brady. So for those of you know, who don't really understand what I'm talking about here, I would, I would imagine most of you listening would understand the story of Tom Brady and how he became the star of the New England Patriots and then ended the careers of so many other players and teams throughout the NFL history, most notably being 33-2 and two against the Buffalo Bills. I remember vividly the two times that Tom Brady lost to the Bills. And every time I bring this up, it's, it's an emotional time for me. Drew Bloodsoe, lawyer Malloy, first game in Buffalo. Brady's the guaranteed star of the Patriots. Bloodsoe's guaranteed star of the Bills. Bills trounce them in Buffalo. And then a few years later, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Lindell, beat the Patriots wearing the... Oh, it's just a beautiful day. It's in my grandparents' basement for that one. So I've seen Brady beat the Bills a lot. I've seen Brady beat a lot of teams. I've seen Brady win a lot of primetime games. I've seen Brady win a lot of big-time games. I've seen Brady come from behind to win. I've seen Brady displace a first-round draft pick that had gotten the Patriots to the playoffs in season prior. I had witnessed that. I I don't really know. I didn't witness it. I didn't witness it. I'm well aware of the fact. The first Super Bowl I remember watching was that Rams-Patriots Super Bowl, but I don't remember what led up to that. I'm not old enough to... My memory doesn't go back that far. I just remember being in my grandparents' house for that Rams-Patriots Super Bowl. That's it. I remember that I remember that is my first game I remember actually watching. It was 2001, for those of you who did not know. So when I talk about the next Tom Brady, what is the first thing that pops in your head with that? A late-round draft pick that displaces a first-rounder and leads the Patriots from coming behind wins and gets in the playoffs, gets in the promised land, wins the Super Bowl. What happened last night? So, or not last night. I guess we could have the flashback all the way to April. So... Or even before April of 2022, or 21, April of 2021. We see Mac Jones get drafted 15th overall by the New England Patriots. Mac Jones. Everybody then was talking about similarities to Tom Brady. We talked about here the similarities to Tom Brady. Never said he would be the next Tom Brady, because I don't think there ever will be a next Tom Brady. I think that is an anomaly. Like when we talk about when people compare struggling rookie quarterbacks numbers with Josh Allen, that's not a normal thing. That's not a normal thing. Just because he struggles early on does not mean, oh, he's going to become the next Josh Allen or become this elite NFL quarterback, be a top-two guy in the league and potentially an MVP candidate. That's not guaranteed to happen. It's not guaranteed to happen. Just because you have success early on as an undrafted or late-round quarterback does not mean you're going to be the next Tom Brady. There are so many different factors that led Tom Brady into being Tom Brady more than just being a six-round draft pick. Now, the Patriots draft Matt Jones 15th overall. They have... Cam Newton there in the offseason. It's like, oh, they're going to start Cam Newton. And then they cut Cam Newton. One of the surprising cuts of last offseason was Cam Newton getting cut. Not necessarily surprising of the fact that he got – it was a weird time because Cam Newton sucked the season prior. He never fit in with New England. He's not healthy. Like, it was just a, a weird time in Cam Newton's career. Superman was no longer as super anymore. He was seen as a beatable player. Like, he was not very good. I think he threw seven touchdowns, eight picks that year. Like, he was bad. It was very bad. Bills beat the Patriots twice that year. Like, he was bad and blew them out in New England. Blew them out in Foxborough. Blew them out of the water. They had a close game in Buffalo, but in Foxborough, they obliterated them. But Matt Jones comes in as the week one starter in New England. Week one. And proceeds 
to lead the Patriots to the playoffs, to be part of the reason the Patriots won to the play- went to the playoffs at least. And then they get ass-blasted by the Bills in Orchard Park. Ass-blasted. Absolutely ass-blasted. And the Patriots go into the offseason feeling pretty decent about yourselves. I mean, you got a quarterback as a rookie, led your team to the playoffs. Not a lot of rookie quarterbacks are able to do that. It's very rare when a rookie quarterback, a first-round rookie quarterback, no less, can lead a team to the playoffs. Because if you're at least you're like a late-round quarterback and you get it like Dak Prescott. I don't remember if the Cowboys went to the, the Super Bowl, or the, not Super Bowl, the playoffs, Dak Prescott's rookie year. But he had a really good rookie year. He won Rookie of the Year. And uh, he was a fourth-round draft pick. The Bills tried to draft him, couldn't get him. They got Cardell Jones instead. I don't know how things would have worked out if they got Dak instead of Cardell, because we all know Dak got his chance because Tony Romo got hurt, and then Kellen Moore, who was the start, the backup to Tony Romo at the time, also got hurt, who's now Dak's offensive coordinator in Dallas. And there's a lot of things that led to Dak being the starter. And Dak's back, but we'll talk... We talked about Dak a little bit on Sunday. But Matt Jones gets to the playoff. Matt Jones is rated the 85th best player in the NFL, which we said was ridiculous at the time. Let alone what's happened since then. But it was ridiculous at the time. And then during the draft in April, like 2022 April, the Patriots use a fourth-round draft pick on Bailey Zappi. And I was confused, not because of Bailey Zappi. Well, yeah, I even was kind of confused about Bailey Zappi going that high. I was, I was not, okay, I shouldn't say that because Bailey Zappi had a really good end to his college career. He broke all Joe Burrow's passing records while at Western Kentucky. But it was just that he went before Sam Howell. I thought that was weird. Because Sam Howell can do more things than Bailey Zappi can. In my opinion, in my opinion. And he's more athletically gifted than what Bailey Zappi is. And that's not a, really a bash on Bailey Zappi. I just think Sam Howell's a very good athlete. But then the Patriots drafted him. And the Patriots last year, last April had a very strange draft, given that they drafted Cole Strange in the first round from Tennessee Chattanooga. No one expected that. Hell, Sean McVay and um, Les Snead were in the post-draft meeting. They were like, man, we were looking at this guy in the third round, and Duke gets drafted the first. And then after the strange draft that they had, drafting Bailey Zappi, we had a quarterback that had some success as a rookie. Made the Pro Bowl. Now, granted, the Pro Bowl vote for Matt Jones happened because Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen both declined it. That's the only reason. But it's a stu- it's going to look stupid as the careers go on because Josh Allen doesn't have a Pro Bowl appearance that year because he declined it. But if you just look at Pro Bowls, that's why we say Pro Bowl votes don't matter in regards to determining legacy because it's a popularity contest and Josh Allen and Matt Jones currently have the same number of Pro Bowls. And you're telling me they're the same level player? And we're going to use those as an example of ways to determine how great somebody is? No, they're not even close to each other. Like, it was Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Mac Jones. Name the odd one there. Who's the oddball there? Yeah, it's Mac Jones. Why, he doesn't belong in that group. I don't think Mac Jones is a bad quarterback. We defended Mac Jones to a, a lot. I almost said to a certain extent. No, we defended him quite a bit going into the draft in 2021. And then he goes to the Patriots, and then now all the all – the, the feelings that we had back then are just gone. You're a traitor. I defend you. You're not allowed to go to the Patriots. You're just not supposed. You're just not allowed to do that. You can't say that. Oh yeah, thank you for defending me. Thank you for being in my corner all this time, and then go trade on me with my biggest rival. That's not fair. I don't know. Would that even, would that be worse or would that be better? Like imagine you're you're sitting around like you're you're trying to get this girl to talk to you. You're trying to get this girl to talk to you, and she doesn't want you anymore. But would you rather be upset if she goes to your best friend or your worst enemy? What would be worse? What would be worse? Because your best friend in turn could become your least, your worst enemy. It just, uh, it just could. 
But I think Mac Jones going to the Patriots really left a sign. And then Zach, Jones, Zach Wilson, we defended him as well. He went to the Jets. Screw you guys. And we'll talk about the Jets a little bit. They had some sad news come out this week, too. But Man, we defended Mac Jones. We defended him. And then Mac Jones goes in the season. It was a weird offseason for the Patriots after the draft because Josh McDaniels did the head coaching job of the Vegas Raiders. Which left an opening at the offensive coordinator spot, so speculation from all around was like, oh, Bill, Bo- Bill O'Brien's going to be the offensive coordinator. That was a logical fit, in my opinion, because Bill O'Brien worked with Bill Belichick in the past. Bill O'Brien was Mac Jones' offensive coordinator down in Alabama. I was like, oh, that, that worked pretty well. I don't think Bill O'Brien's a good head coach, but maybe he's a decent offensive coordinator. Instead, of, And you could say Bill O'Brien sucks as an offensive coordinator, an offensive player caller, whatever. He's better than Pat Patri- Matt, Pat- Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Joe Judge is a special teams coordinator. Matt Patricia is supposedly the next Bill Belichick in regards to defensive scheming. Both of them are not offensive guys, yet they are responsible for calling the Patriots offense. I don't care who the hell is running that offense. That offense stinks. Their offense is not good. I don't care who's the quarterback. They are not a good offense. They have some decent playmakers around, but they can't call anything to get to these playmakers. And then as the season starts, the Patriots offense looks kind of weird. Look very dead. They had that first game against the Dolphins that was a snooze fest. That game sucked. And he had the game against the Steelers, another one of those games. Then he had some decent games against the Ravens and Packers. They both came up lost. But Mac Jones gets hurt, I believe, against the Ravens. And then now we get Brian Hoyer ball. Hoyer comes in, then gets a concussion against the Packers. Now we got Bailey Zappi. And then Bailey Zappi leads the Patriots closer to a loss. I mean, they still lost, but a closer loss against the Packers in overtime. And then they beat the Lions and Browns. 29-0, and then 38-15. to So the Bailey Zappi trains all hype right now. And then Mac Jones is back for this game against the Bears. And then Mac Jones... Uh, Mac Jones had a weird play. I don't know if anybody else saw this. It was insane. Mac Jones is sliding, and he kicks his foot in the air and kicks Jaquan Brisker, a rookie from Penn State, in the nuts. And as fate would have it, a few plays later, Jaquan Brisker gets a one-handed interception off Mac Jones. I call that karma. And karma's real. Karma is real. So, that was funny. But then Bailey Zappi goes in. And I had the TV on mute. I was trying to watch some stuff. I was watching some, like, college games for the past weekend, trying to catch up on film stuff for the, the draft pro- prospect thing, which we finished today, which is very awesome, which helps when you have three quarterbacks on by and one get hurt. So, that was very helpful. So, we were trying to watch that, and I had the TV on mute, and I had I saw Mac Jones staring there, standing there, Helmet on, just staring, like, into the abyss. And then they cut to Bailey Zappi warming up. Like, they're pulling Mac Jones? And my thought process, so I saw Dave Portnoy, who's the the founder of Barstool Sports, big-time Patriots guy. He tweets out during the game. It was either during or after the game. I don't remember, but I saw it after. And it was like, if you were going to play Bailey Zappi, why'd you even dress Mac Jones? Mac Jones has been out since the Ravens game. There's been three games since that injury happened. So he's missed about three and a half games of football. Of course, he's going to look a little rusty when he comes back, especially in this style of offense. So if you were going to just put Zappy in, why even play Why even play Jones? Why even play Mac Jones? I, I don't really see the logic there. And you could say that about what a lot of things the Patriots done recently. I don't want to take away from Bill Belichick being the greatest head coach of all time or anything, but... A lot of the things the Patriots have done have been kind of kind of odd. And that's one of them where I kind of agree with that. If you were going to play Zappy the entire time, and then 
Bill Belichick at halftime said both Zappi and Mac Jones are going to play in the second half. I don't think Mac Jones played in the second half. If he did, I missed it. But I was just so ready. At that point, when Bailey Zappi went in, that crowd lit up like Patriots fans. I have a, I have a friend that's a Patriots fan. He's been on the show before. He's not necessarily he's not like this. But I, I've been to Bill's Patriots. I've been with the Patriots fans of the biggest dickhead Patriots fans out there. Most fickle group of fans arguably in the league. Arguably. And T-Boy's not like that. I don't want to bash T-Boy. T-Boy's a relatively sensible fan. He even says, why can't the Bills have Ryan Fitzpatrick? Why can't? Why do you guys have Josh Allen now? He's a, he's, he's a realist. He's a realist to a certain extent. To a certain extent. I'm not going to say he's all there. I'm not going to say he's all there. But to a certain extent. He, he, he can, uh, you can have respectable conversations about <laughs> the New England Patriots, but the people that go to these games at Gillette are not those people. They are the, what have you done for me lately crowd, rather than what have you done for me throughout your history. Like, we're not about that in New England. We're about what have you done for me lately. Matt Jones got the team to the playoffs last year as a rookie, and then he gets benched his first game coming back from injury for Bailey Zappi, and that crowd erupted like God himself was stepping onto the field. And I was ready at that moment when the Patriots went up 14-10 to on Bailey Zappi's first two drives in. God know we're going to hear Bailey Zappi next Tom Brady? Question mark? Bailey Zappi next Tom Brady? Bailey Zappi comes in, leads a win over the, what, checks notes, uh, the Bears. Yeah, we're going to hear um, a bunch of Tom Brady next Tom Brady next Tom Brady next Tom Brady. And then we're going to hear all the similarities like we did with Matt Jones last year. Like, oh, Bailey Zappi, he displaced a, a starter, got hurt. Former first-round quarterback gets hurt. Drew Bledsoe almost died. Matt Jones had a high uncle sprain and had some hilarious pictures going to the tunnel. Matt Jones gets hurt, Drew Bledsoe gets hurt. Brady comes in for Bledsoe, Zappi comes in for Jones. And it's like, oh, no, we're going to hear it again. And then he has two big-time wins against the likes of, checks notes again, two elite programs in the Lions and Browns. And then finally gets a chance to, oh, we're displaced Mac Jones now. I don't know if Bailey Zappi's going to be the starter long-term because Bill Belichick uh, dodged those questions or zapped away those questions, I guess you could say. And Bailey Zappi's got the Bears up, or the Patriots up 14-10. I was like, ah, oh, God dang it. Damn it, No. I have avoided this. They they did it to a certain extent with Mac Jones, but now we got a guy who was drafted in the later rounds, drafted the third day of the NFL draft, displaced a first-round starter because of an injury, and leads them to comeback victories. Oh, my God, we're going to hear it again. It doesn't matter who it's against. It does not matter who it's against. This is the New England Patriots. They won six Super Bowls. It doesn't matter who it's against. They got the greatest quarterback and greatest head coach of all time, so they're going to be in the center of all of this when it comes to quarterbacks. Every single time. Thankfully, though... Good Lord, we dodged a massive bullet here because uh, the Patriots proceeded to lose 33-14. to We dodged a massive-ass bullet. We dodged an atomic bomb of, oh my God, they have the next Tom Brady. It's going buck wild over there in New England. And then when it was 14-20 to at halftime, it was like, oh, the Patriots could still come back. But then... uh. No, they didn't, because Bailey Zappi did not do very well in the second half. They had a stupid mesh point fumble, which is the most annoying fumble out of any fumble any fumble could ever be. It's a mesh point fumble. That's something you practice every single day. Every single day. Coaches can somewhat, and this is somewhat, take when a quarterback fumbles in open field. They will not accept snap fumbles and mesh point fumbles. 
They will lose. And coaches are relatively nice to quarterbacks. So I tell people who've been like, oh, Iowa looks really good in practice. Yeah, because practices are geared towards the offense. If the defense is winning practice, guess what? Nobody's winning practice. The offense is winning practice. Practices are geared towards the offense. I refuse to believe Iowa's offense looks good on practice. I refuse to believe that if they were playing normally. If practices were practiced like games, then no, they would not look good at all. But practices, again, are geared towards offense. So if you're a quarterback, 90% of the time, 99% of the time, 99.99% of the time, coach is going to be on your side. It's that .01% that if you fumble the ball, you better start walking back to wherever the hell you came from because you're going to get yelled at the entire time. You fumble a mesh point, that coach going to punt the ball, go get it. I've never had that happen to me, but I'd, I'd like to envision the Patriots are doing that. <laughs> I, think, I think it'd be really funny. I have had coaches yell. Like we've been, I played quarterback since I was in seventh grade. So I've, I've got my fair share of what the hell was that in regards to mesh points, snap fumbles, and all that stuff. Because when you go from shotgun in high school to all of a sudden being under center your senior year, where you never went under center before that, it's kind of a weird, a weird adjustment. But hey, things happen. Shit happens, you get over it. But that, especially with the Patriots, I'm sure they got ripped a new asshole after that. Bailey Zappi also took two interceptions in the game as well. One almost gave a return for a touchdown by Kyler Gordon, rookie from Washington. So the Patriots, the Bears rookies, good game. Good game for the Bears rookies. That was nice. It was very nice. You had Jaquan Brisker get an interception. You had Kyler Gordon get an interception. It was nice. It was nice. But, man, I enjoyed that game. I was laughing so hard when Kyler Gordon made that last interception. And Peyton Manning, I heard, I saw this on Twitter. I didn't. I don't really watch the Manning cast that often because I like listening to the commentators. If, you, if you're new to football, I mean, it's entertaining. I'm not saying it's like don't watch it. It's very entertaining. It's very entertaining. If they have a guest on that I, I like, I'll go watch it. But I won't watch it very much long after that. And it has to be one of my favorite players. It can't be just like some random guy, oh, I like that guy. No, it has to be, oh my God, they got Josh Allen on, or they got Pat McAfee on, or whatever. I got to go watch that guy. Not just some random ass dude. It can be fun, but it, there's a lot of dead time. It's like watching a stream. Like when people talk about watching Twitch and all that stuff, like I'll watch, like that's why I like YouTube because they'll have all the highlights of the stream on there. Like the Manning cast as a whole, they have very entertaining moments, but it's very, there are portions where it gets really dry and it kind of can get hard to listen to. But apparently on Twitter, I saw that Peyton Manning was upset that the Bears didn't go up by, didn't score 40. When you have a chance to go score 40 in Gillette Stadium, you go and do it because the Bears knelt it at like the one yard line. They could have gotten 40. That would have been beautiful. That would have been perfect. At, at the first half, I was scared I was going to hear Brady Mark two. In the second half, I'm hearing, are the Patriots done? <laughs> Talk about chain, flipping the script. Good Lord. And I loved it. As for the other side of the field for the Bears, this was probably Justin Fields' best game as a pro. Not saying there's been a lot of games where you can go like, oh yeah, Justin Fields played particularly well in this game, but I think this might be his best game. Like, my dad and I were talking about this morning. We have a guy in our office named Sean, big-time Bears fan. And I think a lot of Bears fans are like this to a certain extent where they're not sure about Justin Fields yet. And I think a lot of that has to do with the hesitancy around that is the fact that we talked about a few weeks ago where he was like, oh... Bears fans don't, we hurt more than Bears fans because we're in practice every day watching film and doing all this stuff. Remember that? Remember that a few weeks ago? We were like, hey, you can't say that. Doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. Can't say that. I think that stems a lot of it. But I think Justin Fields, to me, is generally a very likable person. 
I think Justin Fields, I, I don't know this for certain. I think his dad was in the military. He's part of a military family. Like he's a very serious person from the outside looking in. He looks like a very serious person. Dude wants to win. He's got all the things you look for in a franchise quarterback. He's got the size, he's got a strong arm, and he's very mobile. Like, he led the Bears in rushing. He was far and away the leading rusher in the game. He had 82 yards rushing and a touchdown. But there are times you're like, man, Justin, what the hell was that? But there are other times you're like, Justin, what the hell was that? Like, where you're like, oh, my God, that was awesome. Like his screenplay where he got sandwiched between two two Patriots defenders for his touchdown to Khalil Herbert. It was a beautiful play. Ball looked out like it was <laughs> ball looked like it was in a hurricane or tornado or something with the way it was spinning, but great play. He can he throws a very nice football. There weren't a lot like a lot of the throws last night. I don't think were great, but like he looked good. He looked good. He needs to hold on to the football more, but like he looked good. I think his old line's trash, but. If they can get something like something figured out there, the Bears again, we've talked about this before, are gonna I believe they're gonna have the most cap space going into the offseason. With all the stuff they got rid of, I think they're gonna have the most available cap space, which is good. Because the Bears right now are three and four. They're better than what a lot of people were expecting at this point. Like I had them winning three wins, three games the entire season. Now they're already at three wins and have beaten the New England Patriots. They've beaten the 49ers and the New England Patriots. How many people would have said that before the year started? That two of the three Bears, I think Texans, fine. You can write, yeah, everybody could have said that game. But the Niners and Patriots? The Niners won's an anomaly because it was in a freaking monsoon. But that Patriots game was just weird. Very weird. And now they got a weird stretch of games where you could kind of see a reality in which the Bears come out victors. Like, here's the remainder of their schedule. You got the, the Cowboys, Dolphins, Lions, Falcons, Jets, Packers again, Eagles, Bills, Lions, Vikings. So we can already, I, unless something insane happens, we can chop up L's to the Eagles and Bills. Unless something insane happens. But those rest of the games, like, they're winnable games. Like, you look at the Dolphins, if, if the opponent opposing team's not getting blasted with 120, 130 degree heat, they look pretty toothless. They're not that great. We said that a few weeks ago. After they beat the Bills, we're like, this is a one-off, it won't happen again. This team should have lost the Steelers. Tua threw... Four dropped interceptions. Four of them. Most in the league this season, which I'm completely content with at that game because I had to start Tua this week in fantasy. I had injuries, so I had Tua to start in bye weeks. So Tua was starting, so not throwing four interceptions was beautiful. It helped me win the game. But, man, Tua, I I think, is fine. In a general sense, I don't necessarily have a bunch of things to say negatively about Tua I think he, from all accounts he seems like a good person I'm glad he's healthy that's the most important thing I'm glad he's healthy but he's just not he's not anything special and he's a very accurate quarterback but it, it, accurate-ish like he's nowhere as accurate as what they say there was one play on Sunday Night Football where Jalen Waddell is running a crossing route and if he throws it in front of him that's a walk-in touchdown he threw it behind him, and because Jalen Wall is so athletic, he can stop basically dead in his tracks and turn around and try and catch it. Tua's got two elite wide receivers. Jalen Wall's only in his second year, and I'd already kind of classify him towards that mark. Because an elite, you have to have a trait. And two, uh, Jalen Wall is either the faster, second fastest receiver in the league, and his other, the second or fastest receiver in the league, and the other guy is on his team. We talked about this during the Ravens game. 
what st- what do the uh, the Dolphins run more than anything else? The Dolphins are running a shit ton of crossing routes, and everything's short. Because when you have the two fast receivers in the league, we're going to talk offensive game planning here, you have the two fast receivers in the league, you run them across the field, you're telling a linebacker or safety or corner or whoever the hell you want to try and chase them while moving horizontally, good freaking luck. That's all I'm going to tell you. It doesn't take a brain yet to come with those plays. But there's some times where it's like, dude, how do you, how is that behind? You could be winning by so much more if you could just throw it in front of them. And again, on general terms, I don't really have a lot of, I don't hate Tua. I don't really hate a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I think the NFL has got the most talented quarterback position we've had in a very long time. In regards to this natural talent, I think next year we're going to have a better group of quarterbacks coming in, which makes the NFL even better. But Tua is not anything that's insane. That's like, oh my God, did you see that play by Tua? It's just, eh. He's just, he's fine. I don't think he's in danger of losing a starting job, but he's just fine. Do I fear Tua? Not necessarily. If you can tell me one thing he does that is makes him a top-tier quarterback, just one trait, one trait, because it's not accuracy. He's accurate enough, but there are so many times where it's like, dude, if you could just put that in front of them, they would walk into the end zone because they're faster than every single person on the field. The Dolphins have the biggest trump card in the entire NFL because they have the two fastest players in the league out wide. The two fastest. There's no debate. They're the two fastest players in the NFL. Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. The two fastest. Then they got the probably the third fastest at running back in Raheem, Raheem Mostert. So you got the three, arguably three fastest players in the NFL. On your roster, and you're beating the Steelers 16-10, 16 points. Like, I don't care who your quarterback is. There's not a massive drop-up between Tua and Teddy Bridgewater. I'm sorry if people are trying to complain about that. There's not. There's really not. Like, throughout this season, apart from the 42-point anomaly they had against the Ravens, they scored 20-21, 15-17, and 16. And this is an elite offense? They scored over 20 points. Over 20 points. I'm not saying 20 or over. They scored over 20 points one time this entire season. And they went over it by one. Because that was the Bills playing with 60% of their starters down. So, again, when this game happens in December, I'm more confident now than what I was back then. And I was confident then. When this game happens in December, the Bills trounce them by at least 14. And the, for the Patriots, again, I don't want to sound overly cocky because I've seen the, like, the Patriots beat the Bills last year. Granted, again, anomaly. The Patriots ran for 200 yards. But that I do not fear the Patriots. I don't fear the Dolphins. Weirdly enough, I fear the Jets the most. Weirdly. And I, I fear the Jets. Now, I fear the Jets significantly less than what I did because Brees Hall tore his ACL, which sucks ass. And I grew up an Iowa fan. I grew up an Iowa fan. But I know, like, when Iowa State has great players. You're stupid if you're an Iowa fan. You're just stupid and ignorant if you just go, I hate that guy. Why? I don't know. He plays for Iowa State. Brees Hall is awesome. I wanted the Bills to draft Brees Hall. And until he got hurt, I felt vindicated by that. Now, Devin Singletary's had nice moments this year for the Bills. But you're telling me they wouldn't have an upgrade with Brees Hall who can catch the ball in the backfield and rush for over 100 yards? Break away 70-plus yards? And now he's out for the season, which is good on the fact that the Bills don't need to face him twice anymore. 
But it sucks because that derailed what was starting to look like a very, very promising rookie season. I really like what the Jets did in the fact that they eased him into it. A lot of rookies that aren't quarterbacks get rushed in the position so much earlier than what they're ready for. But the Jets had a foundation there with Michael Carter to where they could go, yeah, we could play him and ease Brees into this. He's going to take it over, but we'll ease him into it. And Brees took off. Like, that dude's so good. And he was getting into his stride. Like, he was getting to that point of, oh, yeah, he's an elite running back. We're getting to the work. We were about to have those conversations. Now he tore his ACLs out for the season. It sucks. I don't care if he played for the Jet, plays for the Jets. I don't care if he went to Iowa State. That sucks. That sucks. You be the biggest Bills and Hawkeye fan out there. That sucks. Now, the Jets did go out and get James Robinson for like a sixth or fifth round draft pick, which is a very good get, which also opened the door for Travis Etienne, who's played really well recently. He scored his first NFL touchdown last week, which is weird to think about, but at least that's what I saw. I don't know if that's true. It's why it feels weird to say. But Travis Etienne's a baller. I'm glad he's getting a full opportunity because he was kind of going to the same thing. And with running backs like that, people are easy to jump quick on that. Like, I saw people on Twitter talking about Travis Etienne was exactly who I thought he'd be when he wasn't getting the carries against for the Jaguars. Well, yeah, because they're easing him into it. He's coming off a freaking Liz Frank injury. Like, he's not going to be back and like, oh, there's the elite running back we saw in college. It takes some time. And James Robinson, you got a capable starter in front of him. So it's not like you need to rush him into anything. But when he took over, you're like, yeah, that's the guy. Some people I don't understand why they can't just go like, oh, this takes time to be good in the NFL. It's not every player that becomes, oh, they're in the NFL, good. We have players like that. Justin Herbert came to the NFL good. Justin Jefferson came to the NFL good. Jamar Chase came to the NFL good. Like We've had players that come into the league and are just awesome right away, but uh, most players, about 98% of players in the NFL, maybe 99, it takes time. Mahomes took time. Mahomes didn't play his rookie year, played one game his rookie year. Josh Allen took time. Like, there's players, the great players in the NFL, they take time. Rodgers was the backer for three years. Took time. Doesn't happen right away. So that's why I'm still holding out for, like, Jordan Love and Trey Lance, because it takes time. They were projects when they got brought into the league. Jordan Love hasn't played since he got drafted. He's played, he played against the Chiefs, I guess, last year. And Trey Lance broke his ankle. So give these dudes time. Stop trying to rush people into it. Now, Kenneth Walker, same thing. Kenneth Walker wasn't getting any carries. He's coming off a, uh, he had a hernia at the start of the year. And he's come back in after Rashad Penny got hurt. And he's been the frick, he's the rookie of the year right now. Like, everybody was just waiting for Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker to take it over. Because everybody's like, I guess Chris Olave's rookie of the year. But no, Kenneth Walker right now is rookie of the year for offense. It's Sauce Gardner's rookie of the year for defense. I did Tarek Woolen from the Seattle Seahawks from UTSA. Awesome corner. He should be mentioned up there as well. But it's Kenneth Walker and Sauce Gardner at this point. Because Kenneth Walker's come in and has played freaking awesome. And I don't know what's going on in Seattle, but I can't say I don't like it because I'm enjoying it. Kenneth Walker has played six games, is averaging 6.1 yards a carry, and has four touchdowns with no fumbles with 411 yards. That's pretty damn impressive after not playing the first game of the year because he had a hernia. And then look at his carries after, <laughs> before and after Rashad Penny got hurt. 4-3-8-8-21-23. And when he got eight against New Orleans, he had 88 yards, 98 yards, 97 yards, then 168. 
Kenneth Walker's good. We knew that going into the NFL, though. I mean, Kenneth Walker had a great career. He had a great year. I almost said great career. Great year at Michigan State was their entire offense. So it's no surprise that the Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall are balling out. It's just a damn shame one of them had to tear his ACL because I wanted to watch them. That would have been a fun rookie of the year race. So what's Brees Hall at for yards? I guess I don't even know that. Brees Hall is at 463 yards, averaging 5.8 yards a carry, four touchdowns, no fumbles. Also has 218 yards receiving and a touchdown there. With Garrett Wilson, the other rookie from Ohio State, he has 314 yards, two touchdowns. But the Jets right now are not a passing team. They're not. They're they're predicated on the run, which you kind of expected with Robert Sala coming from San Francisco. They were predicated on the run as well. I think Zach Wilson will get there. I think he will get there, but right now he has one touchdown in four games. He has 57% completion percentage, 693 yards passing. He's not playing great, but, hey, I don't think the Jets really care at this point because they're winning. The Jets have won four straight games, and they've beaten the Steelers, Dolphins, Packers, Broncos in there, teams that were expected to be things at the start of the year, and the Jets beat all of them. I understand that Skylar Thompson played – or Teddy Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson played against the Jets, but, man, you're beating – Three, two of those teams being the Packers and Dolphins by double digits, and you're the Jets with the Packers. With three of those games being on the road as well, the with the Steelers, Packers, and Broncos games being on the road, that's damn impressive. That's really impressive. So, tip of the cap to the Jets. Same thing goes to the Giants as well. Same thing goes to the Giants. Giants are sitting there at six and one. Their one loss came to the Cowboys. They beat the Packers in there as well. Just crazy. And they play the Seahawks next. So that could be a fun game. Be a very, very fun game. Daniel Jones versus Geno Smith. And Geno Smith's having an insane year. Insane year. Geno Smith's got 1,700 yards, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. That's awesome. I'm happy for Geno. He was with the Jets and uh, (laughs) punched dude in the face. The Bills made him captain when they played the Jets when Geno was there. Didn't really work out for him with the Jets, but I think sitting there in Seattle, I think that's helped him out a lot. He's played ridiculously well. He's one. T- he's two touchdowns off his career high in touchdowns, which is 13 with the Jets. He had 13 touchdowns, 13 interceptions in 2014. He had 12 touchdowns, 21 interceptions in 2013. And in 2022, he has 11 touchdowns, three interceptions with 1,700 yards. A 73% completion percentage as well. Like, I was not expecting Geno Smith to be the uh, – I know. I was trying to come back – I was looking back to what I said or trying to think about what I said. No. I didn't think he'd. I didn't think he'd be good at all. To be hundred percent honest with you, I didn't think he'd be anything. I was fully expecting Drew Locke to be in at some point because the the Seahawks, from all things they said during the offseason, sound like they really liked Drew Locke. Nope, Drew Locke ain't starting. And to be honest, I don't know would the Seahawks draft a quarterback this year, or they keep going on the Geno train trying to prove the rest of their team. I don't know. Geno's not necessarily old. He's thirty two years old. He's not a crazy old quarterback right now. Like he's even put up decent rush numbers as well. Like he's got 132 rush yards. I don't know. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. I can get a second round quarterback this year. There's a deep quarterback class. You can get a second rounder. Ditch Drew Locke. <laughs> he was one of the quarterbacks we were thinking about earlier, but when talking about a rookie quarterback with bad rookie numbers, a quarterback with bad rookie numbers, get compared to Josh Allen. Like that was one of the key things, but. Apart from not having a good rookie year, the one thing I actually remember from Drew Locke in Denver is rapping Young Jeezy. That's about it. That's how memorable his time in Denver was. And then the trade for Russell Wilson, which has obviously worked out beautifully. And then, (laughs) I guess while we're on the 
while we're on the topic of the Broncos, I saw this today. Jamie Eisner from the Draft Network tweeted out who will be the next head coach fired in the NFL. Odds via BetOnline underscore AG. Sounds like a pretty legit site. Nathaniel Hackett's the favorite, which I don't think surprises anybody. Then Cliff Kingsbury, Frank Reich, Dan Campbell, Dennis Allen from the Saints, Kevin Stefanski, Ron Rivera, Lovey Smith. I think Nathaniel Hackett's is good gone. I, I don't think I don't think there's a world where Nathaniel Hackett keeps his job. They are bad. They were bad. They were all they needed, according to everybody in the offseason, was a quarterback and a, a head coach, offensive play caller, new plays, call him in. And then now we just see he's down the long line of quarterbacks that are coaches that have only gone anywhere because they were with a good quarterback. Wasn't anything before the good quarterback and isn't really anything without the good quarterback. It might just see himself back in Green Bay this offseason. As for the rest of the coaches on there, I think the next likely to get fired is the guy sitting at three, and that's Frank Reich. And the reason it, I, I think Frank's a better coach than Cliff Kingsbury. I do think Cl- Frank Reich's a better coach than Cliff Kingsbury. The thing is, Frank Reich is in a lot more s- a tense situation, I guess we'll call it, than Cliff Kingsbury is. Frank Reich is coaching an organization that had Peyton Manning. That's never easy. And Chris Ballard's in this as well. I think Chris Ballard and Frank Reich will both go this offseason. Spoiler alert, I think they'll both leave. I think they'll both get fired. And then as the head coach of the Colts with the expectation of Peyton Manning, then you bring in Andrew Luck. And Andrew Luck retires because the GM before couldn't draft an opposite line. Maybe Frank and Chris Ballard's legacies are different if Andrew Luck stayed because they started rebuilding the opposite line, drafting Quentin Nelson kind of started it off. But since then, it's struggled. They've had five different quarterbacks start the season, or six, five or six, and now in an act of complete desperation... They have benched Matt Ryan for Sam Ellinger. And I'm not saying that this is not deserved because Matt Ryan hasn't really played that well. I'm not really surprised he got benched. I'm kind of surprised how early it happened because the Colts are in a not great division. The Jaguars, Titans, and Texans are not good. They're not good. And the Colts had expectations going into this season. You had the leading rusher from the season before in Jonathan Taylor. You have a number one wideout in Michael Pittman. And you got Matt Ryan coming in this offseason. He was coming off a pretty decent season with the Falcons, though they didn't really have the greatest record. Like, Matt Ryan last year had 3,900 yards, 20 touchdowns, 12 picks. At this point, seven games in, he has nine touchdowns, nine picks. He is nine interceptions in the first seven games. Matt Ryan has missed one game, or no, missed three games his entire career. Three. And now, according to Frank Reich, this is the long-term answer, is Sam Ellinger. So with all these different quarterbacks coming in, the Colts have done all the different, they, they have signed all the quarterbacks they can. They've traded for quarterbacks, they've signed them, they've drafted them late, but they haven't drafted a first-round quarterback. So I think what's going to happen with the Indianapolis Colts this offseason is that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich are gone. Frank Reich takes no C job somewhere. I don't know if Frank, Chris Ballard goes. But Frank Reich takes no C job. And then the Colts draft a first-round quarterback. And they have a new GM and new head coach come in with the quarterback. Because I'm honestly surprised, given how Ursay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, talks, I'm honestly kind of surprised that 
Frank Reich and Chris Ballard made it past the Jaguars game, the end of the year last year. They can't beat Jacksonville. And no matter who, I think Jacksonville's beat them five times in a row in, in Duval. Like, they can't beat them. For whatever reason, they cannot beat the Jaguars. The Jaguars had the perfect last game of the season last year. They locked up the number one pick while also keeping a division rival out of the playoffs. That's how you want to do it right there. When you're a bad team, that's how you want to do it. And I was talking to my friends about this last night, a different talking point, but I'd rather be 0-7 than 3-4. and Because at least at 0-7, I know if I have a question mark around quarterback, I'm going to get a new quarterback. I'm going to have the first pick in the draft. NFL dra- draft purgatory is never a fun place to be. Like, the Bills were in draft purgatory for years and drafted E.J. Manuel and J.P. Lossman and Trent Edwards. So, yeah, I've, I'm very familiar with the regards to uh, draft purgatory, which a lot of Bills fans out there are saying the Patriots are currently in their Lossman and <laughs> Trent Edwards era, <laughs> which is beautiful to think about. But, yeah, the Colts just can't, they can't beat the Jaguars. So when they lost that game, which was a, they had like a 98% chance to win or something like that, some ridiculous, and they lost. And not lost, not just lost. They got embarrassed in Jacksonville. Absolutely embarrassed. You bring in Carson Wentz, who'd worked with Frank Reich before. Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate with Reich as his OC, and then Carson Wentz stinks. Or maybe not stinks, but he's erratic, and it's not working out in Indianapolis. So you bring in Matt Ryan, who's a hell more uh, level-headed or a lot more stable than Carson Wentz is a way downgrade on athleticism, but in regards to the stableness of the quarterback position, yeah, he's better. Overall, his career, Matt Ryan is better than Carson Wentz. I think all of us can agree on that, but that didn't work out. And the Colts' offense stinks. The Colts stink. So now, in an act of desperation, seven games in, they bench Matt Ryan for Sam Ellinger. And Sam Ellinger, I mean, the thing that everybody remembers from Sam Ellinger at this point is the weird back thing after they won the Alamo Bowl, I think. Like, that's the thing everybody remembers when he was at Texas. But he was a decent quarterback at Texas, a very good running quarterback, but nothing that was, like, particularly special, but a decent quarterback at Texas. So, I don't know. Maybe he does good in the NFL, but I think Jim Irsay is going to fire both Ballard and Reich and then move for a rookie quarterback in the first round. Because the only two quarterbacks that have really ever worked for the Indianapolis Colts were quarterbacks they drafted in the first round. And who knows? Maybe they think Ellinger gives them a better shot at getting the number one overall pick. But the only two quarterbacks that I can remember ever working for the Colts when they moved to Indianapolis have been top draft picks. That's Manning and Luck. Jeff George was also a number one overall pick, but that was a different story. <laughs> he wasn't Jeff George really wasn't a terrible quarterback. He wasn't he wasn't a good locker room presence. I mean, look at his numbers. Like he had success throughout his career. He played like 15 years in the league. He had a long career. Just bounced around a team every offseason because no one liked him. <laughs> all the talent in the world. All the talent in the world. But it's not the smartest guy. Not the smartest guy. It's the last time you see an Illinois quarterback get drafted in the first round. I don't think that happens ever again. <laughs> I love Juice Williams, but man, hey, uh, he didn't get drafted. At least to my knowledge. I don't think he got drafted. But yeah, if I'm looking at this head coach get fired list, Hackett has to go. Hackett cannot hack it. That dude stinks. Like Their offense reeks. And then you've got Reich at two for me. Cliff should be three, but I'd probably put Ron Rivera at three, if we're being honest. I don't know, Dennis Allen and Lovey Smith are weird ones because they really felt like placeholders when they got it. They're not long-term answers at head coach. Like, Dennis Allen was the coach for the Raiders for a little bit. That didn't work out. He's been the D coordinator for the Saints for 
freaking ever. And then Lovey Smith was in college after he got fired from the Bears and then came back to the NFL as a DC and then now he's just a head coach again. I don't I don't think either one of those guys are long term answers. And Dan Campbell, I feel weird about the Dan Campbell thing because their offense looks good. They just can't stop anybody. That's that's a major issue. Cliff is a weird one too because that division's not very good right now in regards to records. Like you look at the rest of that division. They, he is insanely frustrating. I think he's one of the worst coaches in the NFL, but I don't know if he'll get fired this offseason or not. If we're talking about this offseason, I think he'll eventually get fired. If, okay, if the Cardinals miss the playoffs this year, then he'll get, he will get he should get fired. I think he should get fired regardless. I, I don't think he should have got the job in the first place. I don't think there's a lot of people out there that actually believe he should have, apart from Steve Keim and the, whoever the hell the owner is. But that dude needs to go. That dude needs to go. He's not a good head coach. He's an, he's an all right offensive coordinator, I guess. All right at best. But yeah, I'd coach like Hackett and Reich are gone. I, I think they're as good as gone. As regards with the Stefanski, I wouldn't honestly be surprised about that. I wouldn't be terribly surprised, but I think there's just a lot of distraction. We didn't think the Browns would be very good anyways. I think I think when you look at the Broncos and the Colts, they had expectations. The Browns had expectations of Deshaun Watson played the entire year. If Deshaun Watson wasn't going to play the entire year, they were not going to be very good. Especially with the distraction of him just being there in general, just being around the team, and how many people dislike the team now. There I, there was never an outcome in my mind they were actually going to be a competent football team, like competent enough to go to the playoffs. Like right now, the Cleveland Browns are 2-5. and five. They're sitting at 2-5 and five in their first-round draft pick, one of their first-round draft picks belongs to the Houston Texans. And they have not necessarily lost to the greatest teams in the NFL. They have lost to the Jets, Falcons, Chargers, Patriots, and Ravens. And they play the Bengals on Monday Night Football next week. They play, have a bye week than the Dolphins, and the Bills, Bucks, Texans, Bengals, Ravens, Steelers, Commanders, and Steelers. Like, you, if you thought they were going to be good, I'm sorry. That was just wishful thinking. Like, on paper, they have a talented roster. They have talented players, but... You have the distraction to Sean Watson, plus with Jacoby Brissett playing quarterback for you. It's going to be topsy-turvy the entire season. So I'm, I'm not surprised they're not very good. So I, I feel weird about Kevin Stefanski in there. Everybody else, like Dan Campbell and Kevin Stefanski, I feel weird about. And Dan Campbell's a weird one because I don't think he's necessarily the greatest play caller, but he's just a very cool – you you, you want to root for Dan Campbell. You don't want Dan Campbell to be fired. You like Dan Campbell. Everybody likes Dan Campbell. But – I, I don't know. They're just not very good. Their their defense reeks. But yeah, Hackett, Kingsbury, Reich, Rivera. I think all those guys are gone. And then I just, this was also tweeted today. Just back to the Colts thing, real quick. The Colts since 2018, the Colts have dished out oh 145 million dollars cash to 12 different quarterbacks. 2018, Andrew Luck, 18 mil. Jacoby Brissett, seven, okay, we're not going to go through all the little numbers there, but we're going to go 760,000. Brad Kaya, 555,000. 2019, Jacoby Brissett, 1400, $14 million. Andrew Luck, 12. Brian Hoyer, 5. Chad Kelly, Mr. Irrelevant, which Brock Purdy, I found this out, was the first ever Mr. Relevant to complete a pass. I thought Chad Kelly would have done that, and I looked back, and Chad Kelly played in games. He only ran the ball. Chad Kelly, I remember that one being Mr. Relevant because he's Jim Kelly's nephew. But uh, 268,000. 2020, Philip Rivers, 25, 25 mil. Jacoby Brissett, 15. Jacob Eason, 1. Brian Hoyer, 950,000. 2021, Carson Wentz, 21 mil. Sam Ellinger, 709. Brad Hundley, Brett Hundley, who played at UCLA, was a pretty good quarterback at UCLA, 
572,000. And then 2022, Matt Ryan, 24 mil. Nick Foles, 2 mil. Sam Ellinger, 825. That's a lot of money on not very good quarterback play. And it's sad that the longest served quarterback during that time frame is Jacoby Brissett. That's not great. That's not great. And he's rotating as your starting quarterback during that time as well. That's not that's not necessarily the most ideal situation that you got going on there for you as a as an NFL franchise who wants who every NFL franchise out there lives and dies by the franchise quarterback. You can be the most insane franchise out there. If you have a franchise quarterback, you feel like you have a chance at winning every game. Having a franchise quarterback, having a guy there that you trust. They could build your team around, especially one on a rookie contract, which is why, again, I think the Colts will do that because you don't have a lot of as much money allocated towards them. You have more money allocated towards them because they're a rookie as a first-rounder, but like in the grand scheme of quarterback contracts, when you look at some of the contracts that are given out, it is significantly less you can afford to build the rest of your roster. Because, again, like the Browns, the Colts have a very talented roster, except the O-line can't stay healthy and the quarterbacks can't play well. So there's a couple issues there that are kind of important in regards to the success of an NFL franchise. But with that being said, we're talking about drafting a young quarterback. Dra- well, dra- drafting a young quarterback. Drafting a quarterback. I-, I Don't draft old guys. Don't draft Brandon Whedon's. Don't draft Chris Winkies. Let's just go with the standard, the standard guys. Now, here's our Week 8 quarterback prospect rankings. And I saw this right before I started doing this. Quarterback age is from Mock Draft Monday on Instagram if you want to follow them. Here's some of the ages of the quarterbacks getting drafted compared to NFL starters. So C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are 21. They are the youngest guys on this list, by well, not by far, but then Trey Lance is 22. Trey Lance is 22 years old. Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, then Will Levis are 23. Justin Fields is 23. And then we have Davis Mills, Jalen Hurts, Kenny Pickett, Daniel Jones, Justin Herbert, Tua, and Hendon Hooker. So that's what pe- people are going to get concerned about that. Hendon Hooker's going to be 25 by the time he drafts. All I know is this. Hendon Hooker can play football. Hendon Hooker can play. I know his offense may not be suited to the NFL just because of how fast they run everything, but that dude can sling the rock. He can run. He's got the size. He throws the best deep ball in college football. He is a dude. But I can understand to a certain extent 25 years old because your time frame with the quarterback is going to be lower if you get Hooker versus Younger Stroud. They're 21 years old. They're 21. Hendon Hooker's 24. Going to be 25. So it's it's an interesting time, I guess you could say. At least he's not 28. At least he's not 28. He's not looking like he's 30 years old or anything. He looks young. But so here is my 2020, uh, well, 2023 NFL Draft prospect rankings post week eight. And we've got a mix up at the top. We've got a mix up at the top. And this is, I watched this one a thousand times. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and today. Because the Bills didn't play this week. So I had time to look over all of this stuff. More time than usual, which is pretty nice. And watching what Stroud did against Iowa... Versus what, if you take away number, if you did not know what their stats were, who had the more impressive game, Bryce Young against Mississippi State or C.J. Stroud against Iowa? Who had the better game? If you look at what they did and then tell me who had the better game, not necessarily numbers, do not go statistical on me, who had the better game? After thinking of it like that, 
Because I watched Stroud. I, I watched Stroud closely against Iowa. Iowa was my favorite college football team. I had to watch Stroud pull Iowa's pants down and do whatever he wanted behind him. Like I, I had to watch it. But Stroud did not play particularly well on Saturday. Stroud did not play particularly well. Stroud, C.J. Stroud went 20 for 30, 286, and four touchdowns, one pick. In reality, he should have wound up with two picks because he threw one in the first drive of the game that was well behind Emeka Agbuka. It should have gotten picked off by, I don't remember who it was who would have intercepted for Iowa. It should have been intercepted regardless. And then the, the other interception that came at the first play of the second half was thrown in the triple coverage. There were throws that he made in this game. They're like, oh, yeah, there's C.J. Stroud. But then there are other throws in the game that were like, who the hell is that? What kind of throw is that? Where was he looking on that throw? And I think that's a testament to Iowa's ability on defense. But I just don't think, even then, I don't think Stroud looked like himself. I think Stroud just looked off. Which is insane to say for, this is how good C.J. Stroud is, though. Dude won 54-10 and threw for four touchdowns with 286 yards. I'm saying he looked all, he didn't look like himself. That's how good C.J. Stroud is. I just want people to wrap their head around that. And again, the dude's only 21 years old. But what Bryce Young did against Mississippi State, I know it's a lesser defense, but there were plays he made in that game where it's like, I don't think there's any quarterback in college football that's making that play. Like, early on in the game, like, C.J. Stroud is a very, very precise thrower. But if we're talking about ad-libbing, be able to make plays out of nothing, it's Bryce Young's that guy. Bryce Young's that guy. And he did it in this game. He did it against Tennessee. Like, he's done it his entire college football career. And I think Stroud has a better chance to win the Heisman this year than Bryce Young does. And both these things can be true. I think Bryce Young is better, but I think C.J. Stroud has a better chance to win the Heisman. And Charles Barkley once said this. Like, Charles Barkley won an NBA, NBA MVP. Does that mean he's better than Michael Jordan? No. No, it doesn't mean he's better than Michael Jordan. He won an award over Michael Jordan, but that does not mean he's better than Michael Jordan. C.J. Stroud might win the Heisman. Hendon Hooker might win the Heisman. I don't think either one of them are better than Bryce Young. Like, when the draft comes around, I've already talked about Will Levis will probably be number one. He's sitting at three again because he didn't play. Him and Anthony Richardson didn't play. I think Will Levis will probably go number one if I had to make a bet because Stroud's smaller and Stroud can't move. To a certain extent, to a certain extent, he can move better than some, but not necessarily the most fleet-footed guy out there. But right now, after watching, like, okay, so Bryce Young, just a couple plays that stand out right away. Early on in the game, actually, they punted on their first drive, but the second drive, rolls out to the right, steps on the pocket, rolls to the right. Jump throw, which is like, I don't know how he does it so consistently, how often he can jump throw. And it's weird, because it's not like with his shoulder. It's when he's like, his shoulders are facing... The receiver, usually you have your left shoulder, your lead shoulder pointing at the receiver. No, he just got both arms and he just, he's going to work, he's probably going to work on his mechanics when he gets to the NFL. I'm sure a coach is going to try to tell him to coach that out of him to a certain extent. But his ability to throw on the move was second to none in this game. Like, it was amazing. And for people who are like, oh, I hate when he throws something, and he did it later too. He threw a touch, he, he rolled out to his right, reversed fields, rolled out to the left, and threw it across his body into the end zone for a touchdown. But then for people who are like, oh, I don't like when he rolls out all the time. That's not a natural simulation. What's going to happen to the NFL or whatever? There was a play later in the game. Jermaine Burton, who's question marks about him being able to play this game, <laughs> are up there. But Bryce Young in the pocket delivers an absolute dart to the side with two defenders on Jermaine Burton. 
Throws it to the sideline, place where only Jermaine Burton can go, can go and get it. Like Bryce Young, in regards to just ad libbing ability and ability to throw on the run, I don't. I think Anthony Richardson can get to that level. I just don't think he does it at a consistent level yet. But Bryce Young, at this point, there's not a lot of better quarterbacks that do that than him. And I think he's really special. And watching that Iowa game, I was like, again, Stroud didn't impress me that much. And I know I'm being really fickle, and I know, oh, see, Stroud didn't impress me. Me, host of the Logan Blammett Show. Me. Because my opinion matters in the grand scheme of things. But I thought Young played really well. I thought Young played really well. And, uh, yeah. He didn't, like, complete an insanely high number of passes. Like, he played 21 passes. Didn't throw a lot of passes as well. But I think he plays well. He's got, and I, I love when people use this. I love when people use this. He's got less to work with than than C.J. Stroud does. As much of a joke that we make of that, because it is a funny saying, he has less to work with than C.J. Stroud does. Every receiver at Ohio State, at least the top three guys, would all start for Alabama. All three of those guys. Like Buka, Harrison, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. All those guys are starting for Alabama. Now, Jameer Gibbs would start at running back, but even then, there's not a huge drop-off between him and the other running backs at Ohio State. Cade Stover versus Cameron Lado, that's close one. But you'd probably take Ohio State off the line as well. Paris Campbell's a guaranteed first-round draft pick at this point. Wait till the Michigan games. Remember, Nicholas Petit Ferrer was a first-round draft pick before he played Michigan, and then he got his ass lit up by Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo. The guy, guy fell all the way to the fourth round. Now he's starting, or third round, whatever. Didn't get drafted the first round, let's put it like that. He starts at right tackle for the Titans, which is cool, but his draft stock plummeted after that Michigan. So let's make it to the Michigan game, and then we'll make our prediction about Onslaught. <laughs> we'll make it past the Michigan game. But Bryce Young played really well in this game. And he hits on a bye this week, which is going to be needed. But, yeah, I'm excited. They're playing LSU the game after on the road, which would be fun. Stroud at two, again, I just don't think he played really well. Weird to say his numbers are good, but I, don't, I just don't think he played well. He play, he's playing Penn State this week. Should come away with a dub. But it'll be tough. It's at Penn State. Penn State can score in bunches, but then when you stop scoring in bunches, then they stink. Like, they have to have consistency on offense. Otherwise, they just reek, and that's what they did against Michigan. But they can they can be good. It's just a matter of which team shows up. We already talked about Levis and Richardson having buys there at 3-4. and four. And then Hennon Hooker at 5 played UT Martin, essentially had a bye. He threw three touchdowns. He didn't even play the entire second first half. Like, he, he they sat him out. There's not really a lot to talk about. He played good. He underthrew a receiver on a deep ball, which is crazy to see. But other than that, it was just bog-standard game. They're playing Kentucky, though. I guess I didn't say that with Levis. Kentucky and Tennessee are playing this week in Neyland Stadium. I don't know how Tennessee scored this, playing all their best the best teams at home. They played Florida, Alabama, and now they're about to play Kentucky at home. And this one's a night game, too. This one's at 6. This is going to be an insane game. They got LSU. At, oh, no, they were at LSU, I guess. They were at LSU. They're going to Georgia, which I guess is a different one. But, yeah, all their, Florida, Alabama, and Kentucky all at home. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. But Hendon Hooker played well. There's not really a lot to say. I mean, I like that he rocked the, the sky blue tights. I thought that was cool. I, I like that. And they're rocking black uniforms against Kentucky, so – I like those as well. Ditch, ditch those ugly-ass gray uniforms. And if you're going to wear the gray, just decide to wear the black instead. They're both darker colors, so you're going to use like, oh, we use the black at night. No, you use gray. Gray should be used at night because then less people would see it. 
It's gross. Number six, we got Jaron Hall. I said before the game that BYU would have a tough game against Liberty because Liberty's a very good team. They're like a two, they're a failed two-point conversion away from being seven and zero. They're a good team. I did not think they'd struggle to this extent. And BYU, they did this against Arkansas. They did the exact same thing against Arkansas. They got up early, and then all of a sudden, like the offense just forgot how to offense. It just, it just went from really good to really shit in about 0.2 seconds. Like they were up fourteen to three. And so happened they left 41 to 14. How the hell is that even possible? How are you up by freaking 11 points and lose the game 41 to 14? That's insane. That is ridiculous. And Jaron Hall, I didn't think he played bad. Like, but the crazy thing about Jaron Hall in this game, he completed a, a, a quarter of his passes in the first two drives. Two the two scoring drives were two were four of his passes. He had sixteen completions throughout the game. A quarter of his passes were completed on two touchdown drives. That is insane. Shows how little the rest of the game he did. And those were in the first quarter. I don't think he played particularly like terrible. He ain't played good. He ain't played that great. Uh but yeah, a bad loss. They're playing East Carolina this week. East Carolina's pass defense stinks, but man. So is Arkansas. Jaron Hall still managed to throw an interception against them. I don't know how that happened. But yeah, 41 to 14, uh, that's a little bit more difficult than I was expecting it to be. Uh, Miami at seven. Uh, this game sucked because I picked this game. This is one of the games I picked. I was fairly confident in this game. Miami was up in the game. Up seven, nothing. <laughs> but Tyler Van Dyke gets hurt, and uh, it just went downhill. Tyler Van Dyke didn't really play. He played a quarter and about a half. No, a quarter and a maybe a third. Like, he didn't play a lot. He got slammed in his shoulder. He got a, ta- a, a pass rusher from Duke, came around the left side, two of them actually, and picked him up and slammed it down in his shoulder. I don't know if he's going to play. They're playing Virginia this week. I don't know if he's going to play. I didn't think, like, Van Dyke played all right. He threw a touchdown on the first drive, had a wide open receiver in the back of the end zone. Guy, no defender within like eight yards of him. Like, Van Dyke throws a nice football, but it's his right shoulder, which is kind of concerning. So that might keep him out. Like, Van, they, so they played Virginia this week, and they got Florida State next week. I think Virginia is a beatable team because throughout Ver- Brennan Armstrong's time at Virginia, the quarterback for Virginia, they if they stop him to a certain extent, you can pretty much stop Virginia. But I don't know how what the the lines are for this game yet or not. So Miami's the favorite. They're a two-point favorite. Virginia's won one game. They got they've lost three before that. They beat Georgia Tech, which doesn't really count. Brandon Armstrong's had a tough year. I didn't even know that. Six interceptions, nine inter- not six touchdowns, nine interceptions, L sixty nine. Yeah, he's had a tough year. He's had a tough year. Uh, but I I could see a reality where Van Dyke just sits out this game and gets ready for Florida State because I think that game matters to a lot of Miami fans rather than Virginia. I don't know how the rivalries work in the ACC to a certain extent, but I I know the Florida State Miami rivalry. Sucks to have him injured though. Wish him a speedy recovery. Then number eight we have Tanner McKee. He moved up one spot, but it wasn't anything that was particularly awe inspiring. Like he threw the ball fifty seven times at three hundred twenty. Like it, him and Will Rogers had very similar ish games. Like, Will Rogers threw the ball 60 times, completely 30 of them had no touchdowns, no interceptions, but two for 231 yards. Just nothing worked. Nothing worked the entire game for Mississippi State. He had a couple of good throws to the outside. 
but overall, just nothing worked. Like, they would have a drive that starts good. They'd go turn it over on fourth down, and then they'd punt on three and outs or four play drives. Like, every, I was like, it was ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And for Stanford, it was just a, it was just a boring ass game. It's fourteen to fifteen, but when you're looking at it, when two quarterbacks like this have a similar ish game, you're forced to look at intangibles because similar games. I know the opponents are a little different. Tanner McKee is bigger, has a stronger arm than Will Rogers. I think Will Rogers is more precise. Will Rogers set an NCAA record for fastest to a thousand completions. So good job for him. Uh, I don't think he really cares about that since they got beat 30-6 to on the road and they scored a touchdown the very last second of the game. But, yeah, it's two very eh performances. The KJ Jefferson at 10, he has a bye week. He had a great performance last week against BYU, but he was on a bye week this week. Play Auburn this week. Should be fun. I think they can beat Auburn. I think that'll be a very, very fun game. If they can carry momentum in from the BYU game, be fun. And the others in this category are Sam Hartman threw five touchdowns this week against Boston College. Grace McCall's on a bye, but he's still there. Michael Penix, two touchdowns against Cal with 374 yards. DTR in a bad loss to Oregon, 15-point loss to Oregon. Two touchdowns, 261 yards. 62 yards, sorry. And then Cameron Ward was on a bye as well. So there is our quarterback prospect rankings. Here's a quick rundown of the top 10 again. We got Bryce Young at 1, CJ Stroud 2, Will Levis 3, Anthony Richardson 4, Hendon Hooker 5, Jaron Hall 6, Tyler Van Dyke, 7, Tanner McKee, 8, Will Rogers, 9, and KJ Jefferson sitting in at number 10. I do think it's cool to watch, like, the, like watch Tennessee play. I do think it's really fun to watch Tennessee play because tennis, no one runs – well, they're, statistically they do, but for how good they are, there's not a lot of teams that run it as fast. And I showed my friend Jared this during the game because I, I think we talked about this on Monday, but – Tennessee was playing UT Martin, and I was like, hey, flip to that game real quick. I just want to show you something. And, like, it is ball set snap. There's no – like, it's so fast. And when you're playing like that, like, they did it against Alabama. Their defense can be suspect at times, but their offense, if they're going, they are damn near impossible to stop, which gave me the idea earlier to try and come up with my top four teams in college football, regardless of where they're actually ranked. Top four teams in college football, the years truly. Number one, I've said Ohio State's the best team in college football for some time now. I think if you're going defensively and offensively, just look at the weapons they have on both sides of the ball, I think they're the best. Number two, um, Tennessee. Probably give it to Tennessee just because of what they can do offensively. Their defense is playing solid. I'm not saying it's world-beating defense, but how fast they run, I think they can beat anybody. I don't think there's defenses that can necessarily prepare for that. I think it's... I think it's really hard to prepare. It's like you're trying to prepare for the triple option where you can try and run it as fast as Tennessee does, but it's not going to be as fast. It's just not. You're not going to be like running the triple option. You're not going to be able to scout it. You're not going to be able to read it and be at the same speed as what a triple option school, like Navy, Air Force, Army, whatever. You're not going to be able to run it as fast as Tennessee, especially with some of these offenses. And number three, I got Georgia. They just looked vulnerable in a couple games this year. Like the game against Missouri and the game against Kent State. They allowed 22 points to Kent State. That's Georgia. That's Georgia. That's Kent State. That's not a good team. Now, they've had some good performances against Auburn and Vanderbilt. This game against Florida will be very interesting to see. They had a good performance against a very good Oregon team. But those two games, I got them at three, and the number four, I got Alabama. I think Alabama, just how they play, just Bryce Young. is. If Bryce, Young's, Bryce Young is cooking, I think they can beat anybody in college football, really. Like, Bryce Young against Tennessee is coming off a shoulder injury. And again, this is what we talked about before. Tennessee's offense, they were not ready for it. They couldn't play. They couldn't keep up with it. Now, like, honorable mentions, 
who I want to put in honorable mentions. I think Oregon is a good team. I think they're very good. They're better than what they were. This Oregon team is better than what they were last year, and this Oregon team last year was ranked in the top three forever. It's vastly overrated. Vastly overrated. And then number five, uh, number six, we're going to do like the first two out thing. Probably TCU. I like what TCU does. I like what TCU does quite a bit. I think Max Duggan's playing a very, very good style of football right now. They're blowing out teams recently. They're having a good, they had a really good game against Oklahoma State, but they beat Oklahoma by 10. They beat Kansas by seven. That game was a fun game on the road. They came back against Kansas State, beat them by 10. They're good. TCU's good. I, I thoroughly enjoy watching TCU. Like Michigan and Clemson, just Michigan, I think Blake Corum is awesome. I, I'd probably put Michigan above TCU now that I think about it. Michigan above TCU, but they're at number six. Blake Corum's really good. Their defense is all right. They just don't really offer a lot in the pass game. And then Clemson, I'm I just not sold by Clemson anymore. I, I just can't. I don't understand the mindset of we're going to bench our quarterback and then we're going to start him next game unquestioned and he, the backup comes in and went, leads a victory. I don't know about that. I think Oklahoma State's very good. I think if you're looking at a team outside of the top 10, uh, Syracuse is good. Syracuse is a good team. Utah will always be mentioned up there. UCLA is good. There's a, there's some good teams in college football. I think there's more. There's some. <laughs> I think the competition in college football right now is a lot better than what it is in the NFL. I think there's about three really good NFL teams. And that's about it. I think the Eagles, Chiefs, and Bills are the three best teams in the NFL. No particular order. If I had to order them, it'd be Bills, Eagles, Chiefs. But no real order there. I think those are the only quote unquote legit teams. I don't want to disrespect like the Giants and Jets who are playing really well. Like the Vikings, the Vikings are five and one right now. If you look at some of the games they've had, like they lost, they got ass blasted by the Eagles. You had to come back against the Lions, who have one of the worst defenses in the entire NFL, and sitting at one and five. And then you allow the Bears to come back when Kirk Cousins is complete just for 17 passes. Like it's just a weird five and one. It's a weird five and one. And then like what other teams are up there? I think the Bengals are probably that outside. I think they're probably number four. If I had to list a four, because I think I think the Bengals are starting to come into their own. I think Joe Burrow is feeling himself now. Their offensive line that's field has played a hell of a lot better than what they did the first two weeks. They had – I know he, he got sacked 13 times the first two weeks of the season. 13. How many times has he been sacked since then? Two, three, five, eight, eleven. Since then, since week two, he's been sacked 11 times. He got sacked 13 in the first two weeks. And coincidentally, since those first two weeks, Joe Burrow's thrown one interception and 12 touchdowns. In the first two weeks, he had three touchdowns, four picks. Shows what he can do with an actually competent offensive line. He had his best game of the season against the Falcons, 481 passing yards at over 500 yards total offense with four total touchdowns, three of them passing. He's starting to feel himself. Joe Burrow's starting to feel himself again. He's, oh, the O-line's playing confident-er than what they were before. Yeah, I'd have them at number four. So I'd have, like, the so like college football, I'd have the Bills, Eagles, Chiefs, Bengals, and then if I had to come up with teams that are sitting just outside of the top four, who would I put there? The Cowboys, I'd probably put them at five. I'd put the Cowboys at five. Now that Dak Prescott's back, they played better as the game went on last week against the Lions. Struggled a little bit early, but it was Dak's first game back since his injury, so you expected a little bit of slower game. And then... 
Who would I put at the next spot? Who would I put at number six? I don't know, man. It's between the 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 Vikings and Cow the Vikings and Giants. Probably the Vikings. Probably. I'm not like 100% confident in saying that, but probably the probably the Vikings. No, we're going to go with Dable. We're going to go with Dable and the Giants. Dable and the Giants. We got the Bills connection. We'll go Joe Shane and Brian Dable saying they're the sixth best team in the NFL. <laughs> uh, I'm doing that as well because if Jared listens to it, it'd be kind of funny. So, yeah, I think that is all I've got for you today. Oh, we got the Bills Packers this week, which should be fun. Packers have never won in Buffalo, but Green Bay is the only team to ever have shut out Josh Allen. Craziness. Absolute craziness. But, man, I'm excited. And also, Iowa's depth chart at Padilla or Petrus. So that game against Northwestern this week is going to be fun. It's going to be very fun. Like, it's funny to think about. They're not funny. It's kind of sad. I saw a tweet the other day, and it said, scariest Halloween movies. It was, I don't remember what the first two were, but it's a stereotypical movies like Halloween and then uh, Friday the 13th. And then Iowa Northwestern, 20, October 29th, 2022. Game's going to stay. What is the line for that game? What is the spread? What is the odds for this atrocity of a game? Good Lord. So Iowa's an 11-point favorite. The fact they think Iowa could score 11 points in this game is ridiculous. No, they should. If they don't beat Northwestern, good God. There's no way they can't beat Northwestern. I don't care how bad Petrus and the O-line's playing. They cannot lose to Northwestern. That cannot happen. That absolutely cannot happen. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well... With that being said, I think we're just going to end the show there. I do hope you enjoyed it. I do hope you enjoyed the show. If you did not, I sincerely apologize. We'll try to be better next time. But again, make sure you're following the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course the Apple Podcast, Spotify account. Leave a rating on five stars on both. If you're listening to the show right now and you're not sure if you're following or subscribed to the Apple Podcast and Spotify accounts, just go and double check while you're listening to it and make sure you are subscribed. And with that being said, I will see you all later. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. See you for a football Friday. Should be very, very fun. Peace.